Okay. I think we're good. Are we good? We're good. I can hear you. We're good enough. I can hear you. All right. We're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. And that's the best we can do. That is. That's poetic. (laughs) should put that on like a t-shirt or a poster (laughs) or something. You're right. I should. (laughs) Definitely. Well, welcome to episode two. We made it. Episode two. Here we are. Here we are. The night before Halloween. All Hallows Eve. Eve. No, it is. Is it? Is it? I never knew. I don't even know this. I used to call it Halloween Eve. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's a thing I've always called. It's Halloween Eve. You should still make that a thing. Is it? No, but you could. It should be? I could? Okay. Welcome to Halloween Eve episode. You'll be listening to it not on Halloween though. Because... Possibly. Oh, possibly. Depending it'll on... Be, it'll be going out tomorrow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. You're a great editor, so absolutely. I, I'm, I'll stay Deadline. up Deadline. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, otherwise, my story is a little bit late to or the party. early for next year. <laughs> or, or very, very early That's like, year. you know, Christmas lights. Like, at what point are they early again if you just leave them up? At some point, they're always relevant. A broken clock is what, right? What, twice, twice a, day? a day? There we go. That's correct. Unless you're on a 24-hour clock, I always thought about that. But I guess it still goes around, and that's the, the round 12. Okay, never you mind. Count on I just solved that problem <laughs> for myself. We just solved out that reference I've and never origin. seen a clock with 24 spots, so yep, I Me get neither. it. Different numbers, but same spots. Yeah. Okay. Thus the same. Never mind. Going to cancel that train of thought. No, that was pretty great. That was pretty iconic, (laughs) let me tell you. What are you drinking? What am I drinking? I am drinking this awesome drink that Megan made because she's a fantastic mixologist. I tried. And that's why she should make all the drinks, but I'll eventually make a drink and it'll be like uh, beer Fear factor. factor. (laughs) Just like my cooking. (laughs) Absolutely. But uh, it's going to sound weird, but you should try it because it's pretty awesome and it's a super great fall drink if you like whiskey and I'm going to say pumpkin pie. Yeah, I agree. Well, it, it's a, a recipe very similar to this used to be one of the featured cocktails at Dinosaur Barbecue, which was very close to where I lived in Harlem. I loved our Dinosaur Barbecue. And I loved this cocktail, but it got taken off the menu. Oh, no. So I am doing my best to recreate it because I thought it was perfect for fall i remember you getting that and guess what the secret secret ingredient is well you know what it is and i know what it our is, audience can't guess because they can't guess here. but i can guess for them okay and it's not what you're going to guess <laughs> so it tastes like pumpkin pie it's got irish irish whiskey in it tullamore dew actually which tullamore relates dew. to my horse yep, that's a that that's a hint the, for you that is Even my hint. i don't think you know what my horse is no i don't oh, but anyway continue about the drink but it's it's got sweet potato in it. That's the the secret ingredient. I know, and it sounds really weird. It sounds very weird. It's absolutely delicious. So but it's definitely recommend. worth a try. So we'll post the recipe on our website, uh, historyandthehorse.com. Yes. Um, there you go, Joe. My mom. That was out. mom's feedback for episode one. Was that I said on our website, and I didn't tell everybody what the website was. So we will do a better job of introducing ourselves. And the website and the show, which That's I guess true. we, we can didn't do. That right do. Now. <laughs> so let's do that. Do it. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm going to use the radio voice that you hate. Go for My it. My best phone <laughs> person it. radio voice. Give me your you pitch. ready? Yep. Welcome to episode two of History and the Horse. 
(laughs) where we talk about well we tell each other historical horse stories history horses and humans and history or as one of my my coworkers called it horsetery horsetery yes i like it i like it so we're going to share what we learned about a particular horse or horse related human or thing or thing today (laughs) like today yep exactly yeah so what else did we do we did some horsey things this week we did some horsey we we played with cupcake we did put cupcake in a in a harness tiny harness i was gonna call it a carriage (laughs) well i mean we put the horse in the harness that was what i thought and then we attach the little cart i don't know if it's really a carriage carriage. somebody's gonna have grand (laughs) thoughts about a carriage but it's just a little it's a little tiny cart that i bought a years ago it was awesome though i drove i drove a horse for the first time you did a little (laughs) quarter of a horse for the first time she was so good though she's a saint she is she easily could have killed us if she wanted to she had multiple opportunities yes to do so but we have video proof of what a saint that little horse was absolutely absolutely she was born to drive that's right she was born to drive yes well that's that's a good segue because i know that your horse is a standard bread Yes. Who are also is. pretty born to drive. But short of standard breads, I really know nothing <laughs> about <laughs> I kept that it a secret this week and I'm not good at... Se- Actually, business. I haven't kept it a secret because I've mentioned the name about 4,600 times, but... I still know. I still don't know enough about standard breads to, for yeah. the hints to be relevant. No, I get it. So the other thing that we did last weekend was go to the National Standard Bread Horse Show that was at the Horse Park of New Jersey, which is conveniently 10-ish minutes from our house. Yeah, that was cool. So we had a few friends that were competing with their standard breads, which are off-the-track harness racing horses. So unlike thoroughbreds, which most people are familiar with, which you think Seabiscuit or Secretariat and the Jockeys and the Kentucky Derby, harness racing is where instead of a jockey on the horse, there's a driver in a sulky or race bike and they drive around the track. I thought it was called a silky. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's a no. I might be confusing that with the chicken. With the chicken. Oh, or the chicken. Well, they wear silks. I believe they're still called silks. Just like your jockey wears silks. Maybe well, that's where you get it from. Maybe. But I'm, better, I'm just pre- yeah. a little dyslexic okay well you say things weird anyway so it's fine that's true it's totally fine so i picked a standard bread for my horse this week because at the show there were so many horses that were former race horses that then made it as riding horses or they made their career on the track and then someone adopted or purchased them to turn them into pleasure and riding horses yeah that was really cool there was a class that did both Yes, that they had, drove and then they rode to show the versatility. That was crazy. And that's what inspired my particular pick. So there is like a tie-in Okay. to All right. that. All right. So who's your horse? Are you ready? Tell me. Because I think it's one of the best names for a racehorse ever. Okay. And you should appreciate it because you went to law school. Okay. The name of the horse is Dewey Cheatham and Howe. Love it. Isn't it awesome? That's amazing. So, Dewey Cheatham and... I'm going to tell you the story now. So, once upon a time, or not so much once upon a time, Dewey Cheatham and Howe was... When was this? What year? 
he well his big claim to fame was winning the hamiltonian in 2008 okay okay so, so not not super long ago but long enough ago well i graduated college that long year, enough so ago we don't need to talk about feels that feels like 800 million years ago <laughs> long enough ago yeah so there there it was anyway he was foaled which for our not so horsey friend means born on april 12th 2005 april 12th is your brother's birthday that's isn't my it? brother's birthday huh. look at that cool anyway he was foaled in montgomery new york at breeder steve jones cameo farm his sire, that's his daddy, was named Muscles Yankee, and he was out of, that would be his mom, Trolley Square. And interestingly, he kind of had a, like, 90s-era Disney movie beginning. Oh, no. Yeah. He was he was orphaned at six weeks old. Oh, no. So his mommy died. And Nemo. Yeah. Well, kind of like any, any other Disney yeah. movie. So they should make, Disney should make a movie. About Disney it. should make a movie about this. Because he did. He overcame adversity. Yes. Think about all of our childhood movies like that. It's Oh, it's yeah, stunning. Okay, that's a whole other podcast thing to talk about, about the moms dying. Anyway, so despite being orphaned at six weeks old, he did grow up. He was 16 hands by the time he was consigned at the Lexington Select Sale in 2006. So he was almost abnormally large for his... At how old? Age. So that would have been a year. That's, he was, yeah. so he's 16. He was tall. That's He was a big horse. But a little bit about the name, because I think it is one of the most creative names uh, yeah, I was in gonna say, horse racing. You don't na- name that by accident. No. Steve Jones, the breeder, gets the credit because he named him after a fictitious law firm that's been mentioned in countless comedic works, especially a Stre- Three Stooges Act. Okay. And it's that. a bit of a lawyer inside joke. Did know that. Do we cheat him and how? I mean, it, it's very poetic. Self-explanatory. I think. Ex- exactly. Because there's a particular well-known uh, owner who named Ted Gewertz, who's heavily involved in harness racing. And he hoped that the name would catch his attention at the sale. Makes sense. Which was smart marketing. I get it. And it's interesting, too, because that same lawyer owned Dewey's mom at some point. In the 90s. Dun, dun, dun. So he had sold her and then he there was a connection. So he was hoping that they would Play off get the, the sentimental value. Yep. Exactly. So what did happen? So he, like I said, he was consigned at the 2006 Lexington Select Sale. And he caught the eye of trainer and driver, and he's a harness racing veteran, Ray Schnitker. As well as his partners, Frank Baldessari, Charlie Ionazzo, and Ted Gewertz. So it worked. It worked. So they purchased the unusually large Colt for $80,000. Nice. And where do we think it went from there? I'm going to tell you. Did you go to New Jersey? Uh, they stayed in Montgomery, I believe. Okay. But they raced in New Jersey because the Hamiltonians yep. in the Meadowlands. So it's not far. Circuit. That's why no, we see all the far. horse trailers when we go up to your parents. Oh, yeah. Going between upstate yes. New York and New Jersey. With the sulkies on the back. There you go. Or on the top or on the back. Yep, exactly. Okay, so before any official races in his two-year-old year, Ray Schnitger, his trainer, thought he might have something special. And I found this quote on the Hamiltonian Society website that the trainer said in his first baby race, I could tell that he might be something special. He finished second, yet he made up 15 or 20 lengths, and he was really motoring down the lane. 
It was his stride. I always thought he'd be at least a decent horse and maybe better later on in his career because he was so big, but he's also so athletic. Yeah, that's super athletic. Like to put that in perspective, I'm thinking we have that picture of Secretariat on the wall. He right. won by how many lengths? I think it was 36 lengths. It was a, it was 20 to 30. Right. So he made up that gap on someone to lose, you know, or, or right. you know, But it not showed win, potential in a baby race. That's a pretty exceptional as gap a two-year-old. to make up. So he showed some uh, real talent early on. And he didn't disappoint because in his two-year-old year, he won many victories, including in the Harriman Cup, the New Jersey Sire Stakes Final, the International Stallion and Bluegrass Stakes, Valley Victory, and the Breeders' Crown. He set a single-season earnings record of $936,191 for a trotting two-year-old. Wow. Now, here's where the story gets unique and made me think of him at the show last weekend. During the off-season, so in between races after his two-year-old year, Schnitker took him home, like, home, to the home farm, and to keep him going, he started riding him in a Western saddle, trail riding him, oh, doing kind of cross-training yep. him. He said that he was a really good-mannered, even-tempered horse, which a lot of them are, and so he was easy to be around and do things with, and he took to riding pretty quickly, and then he also swam him in the pond on the farm. So it was oh, like nice. a cross-training thing. He said that he, the horse seemed to like it so much, he decided to incorporate it into his three-year-old training season. So even when he was racing, they would still swim him in what they kind of started to call a triathlon for horse, a horse triathlon. I can see that. Incorporating the riding, the training, and the uh, swimming. And it was said, and well, the trainer said that it really kept him mentally fresh and engaged during his racing season. Because burnout's a thing. Burnout's a thing for us, and it's a thing for them. So cross-training him and engaging in different activities seemed to keep him fresh. His and, head in the game. Yeah, his head in the game. Yeah. He said that he really liked the variety. And that was really helpful because they did set their sights on the biggest race for three-year-old trotters. Think the Kentucky Derby, but for harness racing. And that is the Hambletonian, which is up here in the Meadowlands. So I went to that this year. I did go to that this year. I was very lucky to be able to be right there. That's super cool. see it. So I thought this was a cute description of him that I found from a New York Times article, just describing his personality and the trainer said that nothing ever bothered him. He's raced in rain, in mud, in wind. You could do anything with him. The only thing that bothers him is flies. And I've never met a horse that uh, doesn't hate flies. I was just so, going to say, I think they all hate flies. Yeah. And it was a really good thing rain didn't bother him because the day of his 2008 Hamiltonian, a massive torrential thunderstorm hit that morning so it wasn't a perfect track oh and that always throws a messy a ratchet into the a wrench a ratchet a wrench some sort of device into the thing when when the track isn't perfect some horses like it some horses don't but he said you know he was never really bothered by it and sure enough it paid off but we'll get to that in a second because the other really interesting 
thing I found. And it's actually, if you look at the broadcast of the NBC, the NBC broadcast on YouTube of that 2008 Hamiltonian day, you can see the clip. But NBA, NBC, I'm having trouble speaking. <laughs> it's okay. NBC sent a broadcaster, and I just learned this while doing this research, that Donna Brothers was a jockey. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. We, I feel like I remember one of our friends saying that once upon a time. Probably. And it just did not. Yeah. Because she's usually, she's on Harley, the spotted, we should do him one time, the, oh, the big Appaloosa one. that they have at like the Kentucky Derby. It's a really good one. And she rides along and interviews the jockey who wins. And I always thought, oh, look, they they got a broadcaster who maybe rode as a kid. But no, she was a, she was a jockey. She raced in 1,100 races. Wow. Yep, that's a lot there. of races. Yeah, so they sent her to do an interview when they like to do those little bits about the horse for part of their broadcast. So three days before the biggest race of his career, they send Donna Brothers up to Montgomery, New York, to his farm to interview Ray Schnitger and to see Dewey in action. And he showed her around the barn. He showed he rode her, rode him. Oh, I need to edit that. That's <laughs> That was wrong. Let me That drink is strong, isn't it? Self-correct. <laughs> Self-correct. There's the they show Ray riding Dewey in his western saddle, and then he gives Donna the opportunity to ride him as well. So she was there riding him around in a field 3 days before the biggest race of his life. That's pretty crazy. And they showed him swimming in the pond, which I thought was just really interesting and in how versatile it was so that's th about as that's versatile unique. as you get i think so absolutely that's the word of the day versatility Versati versatility okay so the hamiltonian 2008 he was the first horse in 83 years to enter the hamiltonian undefeated okay he would make it his 15th win so he went undefeated he, yes and he won that's amazing he, Ray Schnitger, his trainer, also drove him. It's not entirely common for the trainers to also always drive them. They can, but they had been a team. He knew the horse the best, and he ended up putting, I think they were on the rail in like the first slot, and he put him out front and let Dewey do his thing, and he did it. Dewey didn't need to cheat him. He just knew no, how. No, he did it. Ex <laughs> I see what you did there. That was good. That was good. I'm a little slow here. This drink is uh, slowing me down. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, he won the 2008 Hamiltonian as an undefeated horse. It was his 15th career win. After the Hamiltonian, he would go on to race in the $930,000 Canadian Trotting Classic. Whoa. Then the $565,000 World Trotting Derby. And he had a three-heat triumph in the Kentucky Fut Futurity. Yeah, I tripped over that word, didn't I? That's a hard one. That's a weird <laughs> word for it. Is. It looks weird in any my person to say. And so he would finish his th three-year-old year with twelve wins out of fifteen races. So he wasn't didn't have a completely undefeated career. He did have a throat thing going on in a race, and he finished third. Still no slouch. So no slouch. Total for his career, he won twenty-two out of twenty-five races. Which is not a 22 bet. out of 25? Yes. That's... In two years. Shockingly good. That is really good. 
And in his career, he won over $3.1 million. 3.1? Wow. So not bad for $80,000. That's not bad for any horse, let alone, like, from my end, for a, a breed that does not get nearly the attention that thoroughbred and thoroughbred Absolutely. racing does. No, you're, so you're entirely right. That's a huge number for something that, like, I don't know much about (laughs) no i get it i get it i feel like i'm learning too and i've been around it i even drove a standard bread and trained her a bit myself and i still feel like there's a lot to learn sweet pea sweet pea she was a good horse yeah she was a sweet horse kind of forgot about that yes um she was a good horse anyway and i rode her too we used to ride up to eight miles a day on a trail you rode in the the sulky i did that wow but we also i rode her for her training miles to get her fit Oh, so you were the cross trainer. Inspiration. This you was a big inspiration. Trainer. Even friends of mine used to ride the standard breads for trainers for part of their exercise. That's very it's cool. It's a thing. Okay, so he did get a retirement party. The United States Trotting Association and the Goshen Horse Historic Track threw a farewell party for Dewey Aww. at the end of his career. That's adorable. And I'm going to read you another quote. I found it in a New York, New York Times article which we will link on our website. That's right. Historyandthehorse.com, along with the other links uh, if you want to read more about Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. So the quote says, more than 100 people turned out November 15th to have their picture taken with the big cult. Or, I said cult, didn't I? (laughs) 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 This drink is stronger than that. was not Jim Jones, Lisa. (laughs) I would drink more of the drink. <gasps> that was the funniest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> take a picture with a big cult. <laughs> okay. Rewind. That was not in the New York Times. What I'm going to say now. Maybe was in, it was. <laughs> maybe it was. I'm sure there's a New York Times article about cults, <laughs> but it wasn't this one. He should have had a cult following. I think he did. because Maybe he, was a he cool will horse. now. Maybe he will. So I'm going to start again. Take two. Take two. More than 100 people turned out November 15th to have their picture taken with the big colt or to receive a signed photograph of Schnitger and Dewey. No charge, no fuss, no formality. It was a rainy, blustery day, but Dewey stood for more than an hour while babies and middle-aged men and everyone in between hugged and kissed him and fed him handfuls of fresh grass supplied by, the, by track personnel. Except for the cell phones, it was a scene out of the 1950s, complete with hot cider and cookies. I thought that was a sweet picture. I'm immediately picturing that scene in, I think it's Seabiscuit, where he gets off the train and everybody's taking pictures. No, it's not even the train. It's the trainer goes to look for him in the stall and he's like, where's the horse? And the owner has him out in front of the train. There you go. And like selling horseshoes yes. for good luck and signing like autographs. pictures. Yeah. And they're like, you're not supposed to do that with a racehorse. And he's like, he likes it. Yeah. But it's unique. And that shows what a good type of egg he was to stand well, there Well, and it sounds that. like he got a pretty diverse training. Yes. So this was just one more thing to know the job. And the job was stand, stand there. And get kisses and goodies. And get some grass from strangers sounds good so yeah that totally isn't normal behavior for a three-year-old stallion who just won millions of dollars in one of the biggest races in the country or the world but he did it and i think that that alone you know deserves recognition yeah that's a great 
a great story and a great tie-in to the the show that we went to because it was so cool to see you know all a similar breed i think they were various ages right was there an age limit on it there's not an age limit on the show, but it is a, a fun little fact that standard breds are actually capped and how old they can be for racing because they're so hardy. And some of them could go and go and go that they decided that 14 is, is it. That's what, So they had, yeah, that's crazy. That's it. So you have to retire, which <laughs> it, it says a lot because in other than thoroughbreds it's very rare for you even see a 10 year old on the track and that's not because they say oh you've got to stop there's either lack of opportunity or injuries that happen but standard breds are pretty cool and they're pretty hardy horses i was just going to say standard breds are like you can't make me stop yes so so yeah but dewey didn't get even close to 14 when did he retire he retired after his three-year-old year because he, well, he had he done was enough more he yeah. was mic drop Mic drop and hello, let me go reproduce. Let me go make more of me. That's my notification to make sure that you put the chickens away. (laughs) (laughs) Which I did. You did. Wink, wink. I did it. I remembered. Okay. So Dewey was retired to stud. He was syndicated for $12 million at Walnut Hall in Lexington, Kentucky in 2009. His initial stud fee was $25,000, okay. and his book was limited to 140 mares. All right. So 140 babies. A year. Well, that year. That year. Yes. Okay. That's and still. today, which is 2022, he is still alive, and he is standing at stud at Leather Stocking Veterinary Services in New Berlin, New York. Oh. He was listed in the 2022 New York Sire Stakes Stallion Directory. His stud fee is now $500. Let's get one. No. Let's do we it. We don't need more horses. That's right in our budget. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the stud fee. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. yep. And we need a mare. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they turn into potato chips. <laughs> so, but I thought you would also find this interesting in between Kentucky and his New York stud farm. He did do a tour through Canada making babies. Oh, Harness no racing way. is pretty big up in Canada too. So that's what, see, and I had no clue. Yeah. I thought you'd Not appreciate that little fact, but overall his progeny. So his collection of babies have earned over $25 million. So that's not too shabby. Million dollars. Can you imagine all his babies? I bet every parent in the world wishes their their kids were that productive. Not that they'll see any of it. Yeah, I mean he's made. A, that's a lot of babies. If you figure, maybe a hundred a year or less. I think it was something like two hundred and for how many seventy years? of them for how many since then? Thirteen years, fourteen that's years. A lot. Yeah, Ooh, that's a lot. So he was last fun fact about Dewey. He was inducted into the Harness Racing Living Horse Hall of Fame on July 5th, 2015. And he was inducted alongside another horse with a super awesome name from that year. Who? That the name was Some Beach Somewhere. What a name. Yes. And it was kind of a good year for harness racing, but because they were both so good, they were neck and neck that year for Horse of the Year. And some beach somewhere did beat Dewey for 
that oh, that's a bummer well that's award so the the disney movie ends before this part <laughs> yes or they take the some disney creative movie ends at the hamiltonian like, there you that's go Ta-da, it. 15 in a row exactly cheers pal yeah exactly but uh the two of them were recognized and memorialized by being inducted into the horse hall of fame that same time so very cool they at least got that recognition together they're in the hall of fame mm-hmm. as good as it gets right yeah I in think any so. sport that's a great story. You liked it? It was a good story. Okay. I'd never, yeah, I had no clue. No clue about this horse. Yeah, I want to try and bring in some more modern ones and obscure ones because it's still history. It's absolutely Just still history. our recent history. Well, and I feel like the, as wildly evident by the the standard bread show, they're extremely versatile. They're extremely hardy. They're good for a number of disciplines. And they don't get a lot of attention like i I knew nothing about any of this before moving to to freehold save for our like one day at the the track which we should go to more often than freehold we absolutely should should but yeah because we can go to the track and then we can go get ice cream at jersey freeze where you know all of our music greats in new jersey that's exactly right i sent my mother that that article from nj.com about (laughs) bon jovi and bruce springsteen going to the Jersey Freeze on nine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's right next. That's almost right next to our harness racing track here in Freehold. Yeah. It is. It is jug handle adjacent. I like that. Yeah. There's <laughs> what? A Chili's and Barnes and Noble in between. Yeah. And like some that makes sense. vacant lot. basically. Yeah. Well, a lot of road and stuff. Yeah. That's where we need a little help. That's why we should go support it. We should. Absolutely. <laughs> that's exactly why we should go support it. Okay, we're back after an emergency Walmart run. Yes. Because our podcast recording device died. We needed, And yeah. we don't have double A's. Nope. But now, now we, we do. do. <laughs> <laughs> and ice cream. And, and a frozen, frozen pizza. pizza. <laughs> and vinegar. And vinegar. Necessary. Yeah, yeah definitely. Life essentials. What that you buy a, at nine o'clock at night at Walmart. That was a very comical scene yes cartless just juggling all of this yeah, stuff no cart Walmart. none of the bags that we're supposed to bring with nope. ourselves we have to do the self-checkout and the guy checks our receipt but he checked it upside down for a solid 10 seconds before he realized that it was upside down yeah and you didn't notice no i didn't you told me in the parking lot <laughs> And it, you, you feel like you're stealing things when you're standing there with like a bottle of vinegar under your arm and batteries. So you're just... not wrong. It was a scene. And yeah. I'm surprised it was really empty for being the night before Halloween. But I guess it is a Sunday. It's still yeah. a school night. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But I do have a very good Halloween related horse story for us. Oh, really? I do interesting you haven't told me what it is i was just gonna say i've done a good job keeping it a secret too yes and you're not always a good secret keeper so no but anything i anything i mention in the way of this would give it away immediately even the fact that i just said i'm doing a halloween related horse story okay should tip you in the direction of where i'm I'm, i'm just here for along for the ride all right well i am going to talk about the legend of Sleepy Hollow oh, and the Headless Horseman. Look at you. Yeah. That would be fun to look into because probably the most famous 
horse related ghost stories and from my research one of america's oldest ghost stories okay yeah huh but i I, what i found really interesting just looking at kind of the the research and origins of the story of the headless horseman overall it dates back to the middle ages no stories of a headless horseman figure ghost really reaping souls yes dates all the way back to the middle ages actually medieval headless medieval yes Hmm. which we'll get to okay so the way that i'm i kind of loosely structured this is i'm going to tell you a little summary of the the actual legend of sleepy hollow as written by washington irving so i'm going to give you a little summary of that then i want to tell you a little bit about the historical background for the writing of of the legend of sleepy hollow because it took place very shortly after the revolutionary war and then i'll give you a little bit about the the background as far as headless horsemen in celtic and german mythology all right i'm here for this sound good absolutely all right cool so let's start out with the the legend of sleepy hollow and for those of our listeners who have never heard or watched the movie with Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is set in the year 1790. So okay, picture this. 1790, 30 miles north of New York City in a little tiny town called Sleepy Hollow, just outside of Terrytown, New York. We went there. We went there. We did. We did. We had, the, we had lunch in that nice restaurant, bar. bar, cafe yeah. place. Horse feathers with my brother. Yes. Yeah. Look it. They made a good old fa- old fashioned. I remember that. Yeah, it was it was a fun time, and we we drove past the statue of the the headless horseman. Yes, well, we drove past and around it about four times, and we went we, to the the church. We did. We t- well, we turned around we tr- the church parking. Popped lot. a U turn in the the church, and there was remember there was a little guy because there was like a yard sale, and it was closing. Yes, there was, and he thought we were there for it, and he was all like, "Oh, I'm sorry, ladies, it's." We're just wrapping up, and I was like, "Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry." So, so <laughs> we just bummed. wanted to turn around. <laughs> so bummed because we drove past the statue four times and can't figure out how to get a good picture. We did, and the statue was smaller than I expected. It was because it's kind of like in the middle. Well, of the it was roadway. perfect because it was like in a hollow, like it in a truly it, was trees. In a it was it was perfect. Yeah definitely worth a, a a drive by if you're you're in the area or looking for a, a good little day trip outside of New York City. So, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is set just after the Revolutionary War, 1790, just outside New York City, 30 miles north. Um and in the original legend, Ichabod Crane serves as Sleepy Hollow's schoolmaster and he moonlights as a vocal coach. I did not really. Know Apparently that was how he kept himself employed. Interesting. So yeah. so they didn't pay teachers well then? I don't either? think so. I think it was mostly his, his voice that kept him paid. Interesting. Yeah. So I thought that was funny. American tradition. <laughs> exactly. So the village is rumored to be haunted by the ghost of a headless horseman, said to be the ghost of a Hessian soldier who lost his head during some nameless battle of the Revolutionary War. Okay. All right. So he apparently rides at nights, tries to... to Take people, makes them disappear, um, but is overall a very scary figure who haunts mm-hmm. the town. Um, and those legends are are talked about. So when Ichabod goes to be a school teacher there, he's definitely made aware of these these rumors. Um, 
So Ichabod tries to win the hand of Katrina Van Tassel. She is the daughter of one of the wealthiest farmers in town. She's also being pursued by the town bully. I'm picturing him like a Gaston figure. Uh, <laughs> Brom Bones, that's his okay. name. He he loves to play pranks. He's a very skilled horse rider. And he's known for kind of fighting off some of Katrina's other suitors by physical confrontation. You know what's going on in my head right now, don't you? What? No one spooks like <laughs> Brombones. No one rides like, like Brombones. <laughs> That's right. No one scares the wits out of Ichabod like Brombones. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. So Ichabod avoids physical confrontation with Brom. So Brom resorts to pulling pranks on him. That's what I can suss out of the okay. original legend. Apparently, Brom fills the schoolhouse with smoke. He sends a pack of dogs chasing and howling oh, after Ichabod. Cute. So he's not very nice to him. No. Definitely not. One night, Ichabod is invited to a party at Van Tassel's home. He attends, and Katrina is not really persuaded by Ichabod's attempts to okay. win her over. So Ichabod leaves pretty dejected, uh -huh. and he goes to leave that night riding his horse named Gunpowder. Gun That's a good name for a horse. Great name for a horse in 1790. So spot on. Hmm. He goes to ride his horse home takes the usual path at night and is riding alone at night, trying not to think about the headless horseman <laughs> that could potentially yeah. be haunting the woods. So as he's trying not to be scared, what does he see in the woods? Uh-oh. A tall, dark figure. Oh, no. The, the next thing he knows, the tall, dark figure is riding after him on his very big black horse. Oh, dear. Chasing him down. Mm-hmm. Ichabod outrides him enough on gunpowder to make it into town. Okay. Past the old Dutch church, which is where yep. the, the horse is supposed to be. Oh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and where the horseman was supposed to have been buried. Okay. Uh, so he chases him down to a bridge in town. Ichabod looks back. The headless horseman is no longer there. Oh. Ichabod crosses the bridge mm -hmm. and looks back. The headless horseman is there and throws his head what? at Ichabod. Like a knocking cannonball? him off his horse. Yes. Like a bomb. What do they call those? The the ball shot the ball put? and shit shot put. Yeah, exactly. He shot puts his, his head. head at Ichabod. Okay. Knocks him off his horse. Is his head a pumpkin? Isn't it a pumpkin? In so here's where the pumpkin comes in. Okay. The next day, the horse, Gunpowder, mm -hmm. returns to the farmer that lent Ichabod his horse. Okay. Because, yep, that's, yep. That the farmer happen. realizes that Ichabod is gone, so he organizes a search party. The only thing that the search party turns up is at the bridge, they find Ichabod's hat and a smashed pumpkin. <gasps> it was a pumpkin. So again, rumors around the town were that either Brom Bones got away with an outrageously good prank that scared Ichabod off. Okay. Or the Headless Horseman got another oh, person. And the world may never know. And the world may never know. That's how it ends? That is how it ends. 
Is that how the movie ends? ends with Ichabod disappearing? Absolutely not. And that is why I say the Tim Burton movie. I read it on the the credits that this book that that the movie is based on the Washington Irving story. It is very much a different story. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's completely you were watching different. it yesterday. I did. I, I did watch it when I fed. I did. Some I should R&D. have known you were going to do this. You should uh, have by the, just me playing that. You're not wrong. I was just I was feeding. So you're not wrong at all. So I have some fun facts as far as the the legend of Sleepy Hollow and the the writing of it that I thought were were worth noting in here. So the way that Ichabod described the the headless horseman chasing him down was gigantic in height and muffled in a cloak. Ichabod was horror struck on perceiving that he was headless, but his horror was still more increased on observing that his head, which should have rested on his shoulders, was carried before him on the pommel of his saddle. Oh, well, that's convenient. Like a little pommel bag. Convenient for throwing. I guess so. For shot putting at your enemies. Hook it on the horn, saddle horn, if there was one, or a little pommel strap and... That's where I keep my head. Exactly. So where this gets interesting is because Hessians were particularly feared fighters during the Revolutionary War. Okay. I feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Hessians were hired German soldiers. Okay. Who were hired to fight on behalf of the British and were known for their, their, their strength in battle. Okay. Essentially. So here's how this tale kind of came to be told washington irving actually made his first trip up the hudson river to tarrytown in 1798 at age 15 he was actually avoiding a yellow fever outbreak in new york city at the time oh so he set the tale 10 years before his visit okay and it's very likely that tales of the american revolution and some of the wars or excuse me some of the battles that took place around that area were still being told. Um, So this is kind of what happened to Washington Irving in general. In 1817, his family business, a small legal practice that he and his brothers ran, went bankrupt following the British-American War of 1812. This will be a useful point of reference for another fun fact. Irving may have borrowed the, the name Ichabod Crane from a real person he met who served in the War of 1812 in Sackett's Harbor, New York. No way. He was apparently a colonel in the U.S. Army who served during the War of 1812, and his name was Ichabod Crane. I mean, it is a pretty cool name, so I could see a writer saying, I'm going to write a story about an Ichabod Crane one day. Absolutely. And here's the thing. When his family uh, business went bankrupt, he moved to Birmingham, England, because he lost all of his job prospects here. Okay. Really didn't have many others, and part of his family had already moved to England. So he actually moved to England and wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow as part of a series of essays that he wrote under his favorite pseudonym, his favorite pen name, which was Jeffrey Cran. Jeffrey Cram. Yep. It was produced, it was published in 1820 as part of a series of 34 essays combined in the sketchbook of Jeffrey Cran, I assume gentleman. That's what G-E-N-T stands for. Oh. Yep. 
So then how do we how do we figure out it was was not Jeffrey Cran? Cran? Cran. Like Crayola. Wait. Spell that name. Jeffrey Cran. No, 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 no. Spell. C-R-A-Y-O-N. Okay. Crayon. Okay. Okay. So Megan says words weird. Anybody who, from Sackets Harbor knows exactly what I mean when I, I say I bet they crayon. do. <laughs> I bet they do. So Megan is from as almost as far north in New York State as you can get. And I'm from as pretty much far south in New York State you can yep. get. Staten Island. Slight and difference. she says things weird. It's and true. that's one of them. It's true. So back to okay, I Washington Irving very quickly. He actually wrote Rip Van Winkle. Right. Okay. The story of the guy who drank a guy's booze and fell asleep against a tree, woke up 20 years later and missed the American Revolution. Right. I, I kind of remember that. This is apparently a bit of a companion piece to Rip Van Winkle, which okay. makes sense because think about it. They're all Hudson Valley. That was kind of... It's like he fell asleep. It's like a series of fictional and memoirs. the Legends of Sleepy Hollow? Quite possibly. I mean, maybe that was a strong... I mean, it was definitely a strong drink if he uh, slept for 20 years. There you go. Maybe like our yam drink. Maybe like this one. <laughs> exactly. So a little background on the historical kind of underpinnings of what could be the the root of the headless horseman tales there was actually a battle of white plains that was fought on october 28 1776 which the anniversary would have been two days ago oh yeah because tomorrow's halloween okay so it was fought on october october 28 1776 and Essentially, it followed General George Washington and the Continental Army. Okay. They left New York City. They were retreating New York City and fled north to the higher ground of Westchester County. They were pursued by the British under General William Howe. General Howe followed Washington north to White Plains through Mamaroneck and was joined with 8,000 troops under the command of Wilhelm von Nipphausen of f- forces to, to join the British. Those are the Hessians. The oh, 8,000 German... troops. So un- I'm assuming so under the, the name of Wilhelm set. von Nipphausen, those are Hessians. That would make sense. So those are any of the Hessians that could have fought in the Battle of of White Plains. And... Like I said, Hessians were generally feared by the Americans, so it's not surprising that one of them was sort of vilified Mm -hmm. by a story like this. In reality, there were a few hundred casualties at the Battle of White Plains between British, Hessian, and American forces. And there were a few stories that very much aligned with the story of somebody being decapitated by either a cannonball or during battle. Oh, wow. So a couple of the quotes that I have are in seven, in his 1798 memoir, Major General William Heath wrote a shot from the American cannon at this place, White Plains, took off the head of a Hessian artilleryman. 
Another soldier, Anthony Maxwell, is said to have witnessed the unfortunate death firsthand and talked about it for years afterwards. I wonder. So then he talked to him in 17 and... It's eight years. It's not that long. And you figure people don't move around that much. So it's totally possible that a tale of somebody losing their head in battle actually made its way into what is now one of the most, you know well-known stories involving a yeah ghost and a horse well and i mean even today like revolutionary war sites are said to be haunted and that was only a few years decade later so yeah not not long not long after that that this came out in in reality the the stories were published in 1820 so it was a fair time after but uh you know compared to the time that washington irving was there himself it he was there relatively closely afterwards so it's it's absolutely not surprising uh so a couple more facts about the hessians uh they got their name from the hesse kennel i'm gonna butcher this <laughs> i'm sure that's not how you pronounce it is really the long and short that's of not this. how you pronounce crayon castle we'll call it hesse castle okay. how would you pronounce that uh-oh uh hesse castle yeah <laughs> same thing. right sure please if anybody is german enough to pronounce this correct us i'd love to be corrected they were feared because they were mercenaries so they were hired hired soldiers essentially they also were involved in the battle of trenton and just for a little bit of of kind of time perspective for the battle of white plains this took place about two months before Washington is made Washington and the army, the Continental Army made their way through Valley Forge and crossed the Delaware during the Battle of Trenton. Okay. It was kind of the lead up to, to that. that. Yeah. Which was widely regarded as one of the turning points of the war. Right. Yeah. I mean Yeah. That's why there are paintings of the, yeah, and the Delaware. And, and we've been there basically. I mean we <laughs> and tube, Geico commercials or oh, Geico Washington commercials. crossing. And we tubed down the Delaware and yeah, drank we did. beer. We did and we literally reenacted that. Yeah. With beer and tubes that we bought on Amazon. Exactly. So that's kind of the historical underpinnings of it. There was very likely a situation that could have directly inspired the legend of Sleepy Hollow itself. Um a little bit more about the headless horseman figure and i'll talk a little bit about uh its origins in mythology it has origins in celtic mythology and german mythology as well all of them describe this figure as being enormous so over six feet tall and most of them are riding a black horse okay that seems to be a common thread here if we're talking about the horse aspect in the headless equation. I would see that. I mean. They're all big and black. There was one, I believe, Scottish. I think there was there was one other telling, either Celtic or Scottish. So either Irish or Scottish that had a gray. Okay. All of the other ones are essentially a big black horse that they okay. ride. And generally speaking, from a a mythology origin, they all seem to share the aspect of coming to visit 
a person either before death or to bring them to death. Like the horse grim reaper? Yeah. Exactly like that. Exactly like that. So in Celtic mythology, they're known as Gon Ken. Apparently that translates to headless. I'll assume that until told otherwise. (laughs) Okay. Or a Dullahan. And he apparently takes the souls of those who would be ready for death. He often rode a headless black horse. Or if it had a head, it had flaming eyes and short cropped ears that outdistanced its body by six meters or more. We measure in metric because it's... Wait, I'm confused. The ears are... It says short cropped ears that outdistanced its body. So all I'm thinking is that it's like shooting flames like a, the, the and villain And the horse is headless, not the guy? Might be. I think the guy is headless. I think it's the guy. Nobody has a head. Nobody, either that or nobody has a head. Okay. That's a possibility too. Okay. It's a myth. That's true. <laughs> we'll never know. Nope. He's known as the mythological headless horseman and is the embodiment of the Celtic god Krom Dub, who's also the god of fertility. Okay. I think there were death some... Death and fertility? Death and fertility go hand in hand, or at the very least, from what I gathered, there were some pretty terrible sacrifices to encourage fertility in some wild times of human history, oh. which does not surprise me at all. No. How that got its kind of did they chop people's heads off i don't know what they did but they definitely didn't do i'll be googling that later you can definitely google that so it said the dullahan's horses ride so quickly and ferociously that fire emanates from both their nostrils and and their hooves as they strike the ground which is the most amazing image i have in my head and is far badder than our renditions of the headless horseman yes yeah i flames a, a flaming can you imagine like you can see horses when they when it's cold and they exhale and you see oh, yeah. that can you just imagine flames yes taking up that yes. well it's like my little my little t-shirt experiment with my game of thrones reference oh yeah we ride horses because they don't make dragons anymore That's, it's wildly appropriate they should absolutely be shooting fire out of somewhere yes so the Dullahan is believed to appear after sunset on certain festivals and feast days, which people, you know, know to be wary of and looking for him after the sun has gone down. The only thing that can frighten him is precious metal. Okay. I'm thinking like inside of a potato chip bag to spook a horse because that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It was shiny. A and, solid and shiny crinkly. reference that would spook a horse because precious metal... Will, when thrown on the ground before him, cause he and his horse to suddenly stop in their path and turn and flee? Because, okay, I believe the whole, whole horse spooking idea then. Or Metal on the ground. Although, if it's precious metals, I mean, that's kind of a good that's scam. True. Hey, if you're scared, throw your jewelry on the ground <laughs> <laughs> at the person. And then you, I guess, run away. And Give then... us your best gold. Yeah. That'll really scare them. Exactly. But, I mean, knowing horses... Yes, yeah, something shiny on the ground. Whew. It could it could be All right. That's an improvement from the potato chip bag. You're you're <laughs> absolutely 
onto something there. That's a great scheme. We that's, should, that's what I'm going to tell clients. Tell if your horse, exactly. if a horse is coming bolting at you, take your valuables and throw it on the ground. Throw your, your jewelry and then run on away. The <laughs> that's the best thing I've ever heard. Let's see what else I have. So there's a Scottish version of this. There's a Scottish tale of the headless horseman concerning a man named Ewan who was decapitated in a clan battle at Glen Kinnear on the Isle of Mull. The battle denied him any chance to be chieftain, and I guess he he spent the rest of eternity haunting this small town as a as a headless horseman. Okay. I'm picturing him like a nearly headless Nick in Harry Potter. I, I just picture everybody as somebody from some other movie. There you go. I think in movies. That's generally how it works out. There's also a German version of this. I think there's some origination or roots in uh, Brothers Grimm. Okay. If you're familiar with those fairy tales yep. or Germanic folklore. One of the Brothers Grimm stories is set near Dresden in eastern Germany. In this tale, a woman from Dresden goes out early one Sunday morning to gather acorns in a forest at a place called Lost Waters. She hears a hunting horn. When she hears it again, she turns around and sees a headless man in a long gray coat sitting on a gray horse. <gasps> there it is. There's the gray. Yep, there's the gray. You know it would never be like a bay horse. That's The bays so, never get any credit. I was just going to say it's too boring. Like, Gunpowder was definitely a, a, <laughs> a black horse. Yeah. No, I was going to say a bay. You think? <laughs> definitely. Oh, yeah. His just borrowed. Just brown paper bag. Yeah. Yeah. Gunpowder feels like a brown paper bag kind of a name. In another German tale set in Braunschweig, a headless horseman called the Wild Huntsman blows a horn that warns hunters not to ride the next day because they will be met with an accident. I have an important question. What? <laughs> How do you blow a horn if you don't have a head? <laughs> Just say it. <laughs> Sorry. Case closed. <laughs> End of story. Sorry to Listen, blow up that I, hole. I stopped. Listen, I lost logic when we were talking about <laughs> fictional <laughs> horse ghosts. But you are not wrong, my dear. I'm just asking. I don't know. This is just what my note says. That's what I'm just saying. Maybe the yeah. horse blows the horse. Maybe the horse is the headless he, one. Maybe he just makes the sound. Maybe he's like <laughs> the voice of God. In his head hole? I am crying. Actual tears. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. No, that was so... It's so true. <laughs> and I feel a little blonde not having spotted that error in logic at the same time. I'm not upset about it. No. That <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy I'm crying. <sighs> that was my last myth, by the way. So good oh. <laughs> So okay. you know what? The end. It's the most unsolved <laughs> of the mysteries. How does the headless horseman blow a horn? <laughs> if you know, call this hotline. 1-800. <laughs> 
headless. <laughs> so, Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> Between ice cream and now. <laughs> we both turned into frogs by the end of this. Oxygenless laughter for a few minutes. I have turned into a frog. That's yeah, exactly what's I have too. Don't eat ice Let cream me try that again. before recording a podcast. No, that cannot happen again. So Sleepy Hollow made its way into many a popular cultural culture reference. Its first known on-screen adaptation was a 1922... I did this last <laughs> time. A 1922 silent film, The Headless Horseman. I so wanted to say 19, 20, 22. Well, I'm just thinking it's a good thing it was a silent film, so there was no horn blowing. Needed to no, that's true. And it's not in German, so we don't... Oh, that's okay. okay. That's a good thing. I don't... Actually, I don't know that. I can't so fact check it okay. for sure. There was also a Disney ani- animated movie, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. That was made in 1949. And more recently, and probably best known is the 1999 Tim Burton film that I watched yesterday mm-hmm. did the R&D on without me fun facts about that Johnny Depp actually adopted the horse who played gunpowder oh that's so sweet his name in real life was Goldeneye and I guess he was going blind and was Aww. going to be put down and Johnny Depp adopted him oh that's so sweet gave him a home for the rest of his life the other fun fact that I have about filming this movie is that Christopher Walken admitted to Tim Burton after being cast that he had no idea how to ride a horse, <laughs> which cracks me up because after watching it yesterday, he's a terrifying presence on yes. that horse. And while it, there's a very Tim Burton-y effect, right? They started ride. Like, they, they had stunt doubles, but they still had to ride for a fair deal of this. So they taught Christopher Walken how to ride a horse. They taught Christopher Walken how to ride a horse named Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> That's fitting. It's very fitting. And the last one, more recently, and I guess we didn't tie in to this episode, but would be a great subject for next Halloween there was the 2013 Fox series uh, that put kind of an interesting twist on the classic story by making the ghostly headless horseman one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They did. That was a good show. I liked watching that. We one. did. And we, did we did watch, watch it. That. Yes. Yeah, that is yeah. an interesting twist. We should do the four horsemen. Okay, so we have next Halloween picked out. Next Halloween. Spoiler alert. We know. We know our our other subject, and then we'll figure it out from there. Yeah. Cool. So happy Halloween, guys. Happy Halloween. Yeah. And that's my story. That's the legend of Sleepy Hollow and the headless, possibly (laughs) horn-blowing horseman. Maybe the horse blew the horn. Or or it was the horse who was I mean, there's one of these myths where his whole face is out in front of him by six feet. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. I think it's up for interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely up for interpretation yeah what else was there anything else we want to talk about no oh but we have to do our game what game where you give me a thing and i have to relate it to horses remember we oh said we were yeah. gonna do that we did we like, didn't prepare for this no we didn't 
Six degrees of uh, am I giving you one? I'm giving you one. Sure. Okay. Anything? Mm-hmm. A toothbrush. A toothbrush. Oh. Oh, that's easier than you think. Okay. Okay. So toothbrushes are brushes, right? And what do you think we made bristles from? Oh. Before. I see where you're going yeah. with this. So like even today, paintbrushes and things, they'll use mane and tail hairs from horses as bristles. Even today? I did. I think so. Like like fans, like painter's brushes. I can I'm go to Home sh- Depot and buy a I don't know if you could get them at Home horse Depot. Horse hair brush? I don't know. But I know that even horse brushes that you can, which is kind of weird when you think about it. You could buy like good, my good horse grooming brushes or horse hair. So I can brush a horse's hair with a horse hair brush. That's true. You know, and I own a couple of those brushes. Yes, you do. Yeah. So so toothbrushes are brushes and therefore toothbrushes are brushes. And therefore, I think that works. That's like half degree. I think that's enough. Okay. I I was going to, if it were me answering, I would say they pulled around early dentists. That's true. They must have. Absolutely. They went. They. Oh, that's just oh, the cats knocking yeah. things over. They absolutely went like door to door like, you know, doctors would have. And that's true. That kind of age. I would think so. Yeah. Okay. I'll buy it. And I mean, who was telling me, who was telling me that this just came up? What? Gosh, I don't even know what. This came up either, maybe it was work-related or maybe it was in a meeting this week. This just is a sign of my age. Somebody told me that, like, that brushing your teeth came from Oh, no, that was, that was totally me because I was listened to... Yes, because I was listening to a marketing audiobook. See? And that was a... And see, you do listen to me I when I come in. I to you. Because I listen to audiobooks while I do my horse chores every day. And I was listening to a marketing book and it was something like in the early 20th century, only 5% of people brush their teeth. And I want to say Pepsodent, but I don't know if that was the toothpaste company. But there was a toothpaste company who approached one of the big marketing people and said, we need to market toothpaste. And they started running ads about how, you know, the usual things. Women will like you better and it's healthier to brush your teeth and white pearly smiley teeth are good for you and that's basically how they got the population to start brushing with, their teeth i was just going to say so we can tie that directly back to horsehair and brushes yeah i mean there Absolutely. had to be a horsehair toothbrush because before we were making plastics i mean what we were using sticks somebody had to have made a brush definitely I yeah i absolutely agree so I could. See I mean, that. you could even. I guess you could floss your teeth on the horse hair. That would be gross. I mean, we want to be clean. I could still. I I buy that. That's. that's I buy that. That's a mental image that I'm sure people appreciate. I agree. All right. Well, how do we end this? All right. Cheers to the horse. Yeah. Cheers to the horse. Cheers to the horse. And her metal cups. Yes. Dink. Dink. Thanks for joining us, everybody. If you'd like yes. to check us out or get more information about today's episode, you can find us on historyinthehorse.com, and you can check us out on our social media networks, and I promise someday I'll post on them. Yep, that'll be good. <laughs> I have to log into mine. Yeah, you do. 
And then we can post things. Yep. Stay tuned for episode three. Three. We're going to make it to three. Two weeks. Two weeks. That's the idea. Yep. Yep. Something like that. All right. See you then. Cheers to the horse. Ha, 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 ha.